for all those words that we've been singing uh, that you give us every week. It may be a different song each week, but, but each song is filled with, with the same truth of the same gospel that does not change, that, that we, are, we are those who are prone to wander and leave and do our own thing, but God, you are a God who takes our heart, seals it, brings us back to yourself, and makes us something that we were not. And God, I just pray that you would continue to unlock, expand our understanding of what that, what that took so that we understand what it is that we have been saved from and what it is that we are saved to. And God, fill us with the, the confidence that we were talking about last week, that, that unhindered abandonment that just passionately pursues you and declares how amazing you are with every breath that we take. And God, I pray that as we, as we wrap up this book today, that you would just, again, amaze us with your grace, overwhelm us with your mercy, and cause us just to be stunned by what it is that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So you can go ahead and be turning to Song of Solomon, chapter 7. I didn't think about how good those words were until we got to that. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Like, did you read ahead, Nick? You didn't? Even better. When these things just work out. That idea is going to be very prevalent in what we're going to talk about today. So this is it. We've reached the end. I don't think I've made it too embarrassing at this point. So basically we've reached the last week where anything that I can say that would make you all uncomfortable in the book of Song of Solomon, I just have to get out now is basically what we've established. So we're just going to say all the uncomfortable things that I've skipped up to this point. Probably not. I've been, I've been pretty well behaved. We haven't, we haven't gotten too, too uncomfortable. I, I'm really curious to know if you guys have gotten into any of the like really interesting nitty-gritty details in any of your CGs. Uh, if you have and you want to talk about them, like how the conversation has gone, I would love to have that conversation maybe at lunch or something like that. But we're going to be in Song of Solomon, chapter 7. We're going to pick up in verse 11 in just a second. But this week is, is more like a part 2 of where we were last week, where, where Solomon had been speaking all of these, these amazing words to his bride, and, and she's just filled with so much confidence, and she, she feels so unashamed of who she is at this point that she felt free to just, to just dance and be, be as what would seem embarrassing or vulnerable in front of him as she could. She had no fear. She was, she was unashamed and she just kind of wanted to tell Solomon, her husband, she wanted to show him, demonstrate for him just how comfortable she was with him and just how much she loved him. And we talked about how that can be true of us as well as the church in that we, we, have, been, we have been showered upon by God with all of this great love and we've been, we've been changed by Him in such an amazing way that we can confidently and passionately worship Him with the same amount of enthusiasm that Solomon's bride was showing to Solomon. And this week is going to just kind of reinforce that idea. But, I want to fo- but what we're going to focus on is, is not just 
just how confident we are because God has said all these things to us. We're going to be reminded of where we were. We're going to be reminded of who we used to be. And then we're going to see who we are now. And, and hopefully as we better understand the change that takes place in us when we're saved and when Jesus starts to make us look more and more like him, we're going to appreciate the distance that we've come. Even if we've only been saved for, for a year, maybe you've been saved for 20 years, maybe you've been saved for longer, maybe you've been saved for like five seconds. I don't know where we all are in our processes of sanctification. But what I do know is, no matter what, once you've been saved, you're going to see a marked difference between where you were before that. And I don't, and, and you know, we talk about, you know, God forgives us and He forgets, and we don't have to worry about the past anymore. And that's true in the sense that it doesn't have to dominate us. It doesn't have to define who we are anymore, who we used to be. But at the same time, I think God calls back to who we were in our past so many times and reminds us, look at what you once were. And we're going to read some of that today. And I want us to, to be you know, well-practiced and well-versed at, at looking back and appreciating what we used to be, just like, just like Solomon's wife is going to this morning. So we're going to kind of see where her mindset is. She's going to have a conversation with her friends one last time, and then we're going to kind of tie all this up. I'm actually going to go ahead and just pick up in Song of Solomon chapter 11, and I'm going to read through the end of the book so that we kind of have the whole picture of what we're going to talk about today. Did I say chapter 7? I said chapter 11, verse 11 of chapter 7. We're not going to read chapter 11 of Song of Solomon. That would be blasphemous. So here we go. Song of Solomon 7, picking up in verse 11, and we're just going to go through the whole book the rest of the way. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breasts. If I found you outside, I would kiss you, and none would despise me. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you, and she who bore you was in labor. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flash, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I was a wall, and my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Haman and let out the vineyards to the keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. 
You, O Solomon, may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit two hundred. You who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. There's a lot of metaphor and analogy in there, and we're going to get to a lot of it. But the first thing that I want us to again be reminded of is just how different her language is by the end of this book, right? She's the one who's initiating. She's the one who is, who's starting all of the conversation. She's the one who's saying, this is what my plans are. This is what I want to do. Remember when we first saw them together, she was like, I want to go see my boyfriend. Where is he? And he's like, I have a playful game. Let's go, find, let's go have a date out in the fields. Let's go have a picnic, right? And he's kind of playfully saying, let's go get away and hang out the two of us. And now here we see that his wife is planning the same kind of getaway. She's like, you know what? Let's go out here. Let's go out into the fields. Let's go out into the vineyards. You know what? I've already got stuff. She's already been putting together some sort of effort, right? She's saying, I've got all this fruit and I've got all this food. And we're going to go out here. We're going to have a picnic and we're going to hang out together. We're going to go spend some time away. You are the king and you are often busy and we don't get time to just spend time together as the two of us. And what she's saying is, but that's okay, because I've already taken steps. I've already made plans. I've already booked a hotel room, and I've already gotten somebody to watch the kids, and I've already gotten some things for us to eat, and I've already taken care of everything. You don't have to figure out where we're going to eat, what we're gonna, where we're going to go, nothing. I've taken care of everything. Come on, let's get away and spend some time together, just as the two of us. But it's not Solomon who's initiating all these. She's confident. She wants to see him. And she says, you know what? I've made all the arrangements. Let's go. Let's go get alone. I mean, if we were going to take this and try to, try to say, well, what does this also look like for the church? I think it's showing just how important it is for us to make opportunities for us to spend time with Jesus. Like value our time alone with him. Take whatever steps we have to take. Make some plans. Get away so that we can focus on being with him. Because our lives can be busy. Lots of things can happen. And, and we can just find our time together with Him to be, be just another step in our busy, busy time. And we don't, we don't take the effort that it takes to really say, I want to devote some time just to be with you. It's one of the things that I love about our prayer nights is because we really do set aside some time to, to come in here, sit down, and pray. And just focus on Jesus we know that you're in charge. We know that you're in control. We know that you can answer prayer. And we're, and we're trusting that you are going to do that. More on that to come later on today. But, but what we see is, we see her saying, I know you want to see me too. I know you want to be with me. I know you love me. I know you value the time that we're going to be able to spend together. So let's go spend some time together. And then we get this kind of weird interaction at the beginning of chapter 8 where she's like, oh man, I wish you were like a brother to me because I want to kiss you. Right? You're like, that seems kind of weird. But we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when he was calling her his sister. Basically, she's saying, I see you as one of my closest relationships, my closest friends. Like, we're not, we're not just husband and wife. We're actually best friends. And I want, and then what she follows up with is, I want to take you and parade you around my hometown and show people just how much I love you. 
I want to walk out in the middle of the town square and give you a kiss so that people can see just how much I love you. Now, here's the thing. Culturally speaking, PDA was not really a thing. Like, like you didn't do these big public displays of, hey, I love this person. There was, no, there was no kissing in the middle of the town square. But what she's saying is, I love you so much. I don't care what culture says. I want to show people just how much I love you. She's saying, you are my best friend. I want to hang out with my best friend in public in a way that makes sure that there is no doubt left in their mind that I love you. That we're in this together. And she gets into that point again where she's talking so passionately about all these things that she wants to do. She wants to be with him. She wants to kiss him out in public where people don't do that. And then she has to remind everybody else who would see her kissing her husband out in public. But this isn't for everybody. Don't stir up or awaken love until it pleases, right? Remember what she, she's given us this reminder. She's given her friends this reminder over and over again. Yeah, you see how passionately in love I am, how, how, how much I'm actively pursuing my husband. But just remember, we're married, so it's okay for us to be this way. She's still continuing to remind people purity before marriage and, 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 and pursuing your husband and your wife in this way is great, within the context of the way that God defines it, within marriage. And so she's continuing, and this is kind of setting up for, for the kind of closing conversation that she's going to have here in a second, but, but she's just kind of reminding, there is still a right way to chase after these things that we're wanting to do. And so she reminds her friends, hey, there's a right time and a wrong time for this. And, and yeah, you're hearing me say and want to do all of these things, but it's okay because of where we are. And her friends say, who is this person, right? They describe her like, who is this coming up from the wilderness, right? Remember the last time we talked about the wilderness, it was, it was the day of their wedding. And she was sitting at home and, and the king kind of came over the ridge with like a whole army saying, hey, I'm here, let's get married. It's time, today's our wedding day. And we talked about how she said he's coming up out of the wilderness, kind of, kind of bringing back to mind that idea of wandering in the desert for 40 years that Israel would be so familiar with. Just this idea of, I've been wandering aimlessly. I don't have a home. I don't have a place to be. And, and in that moment, she was saying, here comes basically my promised land. Here comes this promise of God, this, this safety, this security, this home for me when she saw him coming up out of the wilderness. But now we see the two of them are coming up from the wilderness together, right? The, we talked about how we don't really have a clear passage of time through these, but we can assume that this might be several years into their marriage. And we've seen them, we've seen them get married, we've seen them enjoy marriage. We've seen them have fights and go through difficult things and disagreements. But, but after all of that, we kind of see them coming out, coming up out of the difficult struggle that marriage can be. They've gotten through the tough things that they've been fighting through. And we kind of see them coming up confidently together. She's like a fixture on his arm, right? She's right there with him. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Again, just openly demonstrating her love for him. Their love is seen by the world as a type of relationship, a type of love to be modeled after. 
And this is a goal for all of us who are married, for all of us who are in the church and how do we have relationships, but, but also even just for those of us who are married, have a marriage that is worth being copied, right? We, we always talk about how, how almost cocky Paul seems sometimes in the Gospels when he's like, you guys just watch me and live the Christian life the way I do. I've got this. That level of confidence should be the kind of confidence that we have in our relationships, in our marriages, so that we're saying, this is what a marriage should look like. This is what a godly marriage looks like. This is, this is how we fight. This is how we get back together and reconcile. These are the things that we, we do. We, this is the way we talk to one another. This is the way we demonstrate our love for one another openly and in public so that people know we actually like each other. It should be our goal to have marriages within the church that the world sees and says, that's what we want. Because like we've said all along, our marriage is just a reflection of what it is like to be saved and to be the church united to Christ. Not saying it's easy, right? They're obviously coming up out of the wilderness. They're coming up out of tough times. But on the other side of that, there is, there is kind of a sense of victory that we're seeing here, right? They're kind, of, they're kind of coming out saying, we've been through this, we've gotten through this, Look at this. This is what it should be. This is your goal. And so she says to him, as she, so, I mean, you can imagine, maybe they're like riding in a chariot through town and everybody's like, oh man, they're so awesome. And she's like, yeah, he's awesome. And he's like, yeah, she's awesome. And they're riding through town and she just looks at him and she says, set me as a seal upon your heart. Set a seal as a seal upon your arm. The seal of a king was a really important thing. If a king, if a king put a seal on a letter, that, that letter was like, he's saying, this is from me, nobody messes with this. If that seal's broken and it didn't get to the designated person, you were in trouble. Like, the seal of the king was a big deal. It said, it, it was the way that he signed papers, it was the way that he, he, he made rules and laws and all of these things. And what she's saying is, I want to be a permanent fixture on your heart. I want to be a permanent fixture on your arm, right there with you, hanging on to you. She didn't want, she wanted this to be, the idea of this is that she's, she's, thinking, she's, she's thinking of the long game. She's thinking permanence. She's thinking, this is a forever sort of thing. I want to be a permanent fixture in your heart. I want to always be on your heart. I want to always be what you're thinking of. I want to always be the one that you are concerned for, you're caring for, protecting. All of these things that he's been promising her all along. She's like, I believe all those things and I'm in this for the long run. That idea of a seal being set on our heart. That's a thing that, that, that Paul echoes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's going to be up here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this is verse 21 and 22. It says, and it is God who establishes, with, establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We've been given this same level of security from a king who said, you are mine, I'm putting my seal on you. I'm giving you my spirit as, in a sense, a down payment for when you get to be with me forever. 
This, this idea of permanence, this idea of, of, of complete security forever, not leaving, not letting go, constantly, constantly there for us. And she, that's, what, that's what she wants. That's what he's offering her. And that's what we also have in Christ. She has, she, and then I'm still kind of here in verse 6. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. The kind of love they're having is a kind of possessive love. Not in like the negative sense of, you can't go talk to anybody. You can't have other friends. You can't have any other experiences outside. You are here with me and that's it. It's not a controlling love. It's a, I want you just for me. I want to be with you. I don't want, I don't share you in this way. Which is really ironic and sad as we're going to start getting into, into First and Second Kings tonight. We're going to see how many horrible decisions Solomon starts to make later in his life especially with regard to all of the relationships that he has with other women. Which is why, which is why this picture of Solomon is so, is so fantastic and the one to be modeled because, because she says, I want you all for myself. I don't want to share you with anyone else. Knowing that ultimately, and we know ultimately, he's not going to fulfill that. But that's because he is still fallen. He is still sinful. He is not Jesus, when Jesus puts his seal on us, his seal is permanent. His seal we can trust in. So they demonstrate a kind of possessiveness in their love, which is a good thing within marriage. They've given themselves to each other completely, and they're saying, you are mine, and I am yours. And then she talks about how how powerful and how passionate their love is for one another. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. This idea of it's so overwhelmingly passionate, such a strong flame, that it doesn't matter how much water you hit it with, you're not going to be able to quench this. We are so passionately in love with each other that nothing is going to stop that. And that's why I keep bringing up this point. That this is what our relationship with Jesus is like. That, that our passion for Him, our love for Him, should burn with such an unquenchable nature that nothing can put it out. No matter how, how tough our week may be, no matter what things we may be facing in life, no matter how long we may have been waiting for God to answer some prayer, no matter what it is that we're facing, our love for Jesus should trump all of that. And we should be overwhelmed and overjoyed just at how good He is and how amazing His love and mercy for us are. That no matter how hard things may be, we still love Him just as passionately. I'm not saying that's an easy thing. Because when we're going through tough things, it is really hard to say, I'm going to maintain my level of joy. I'm going to maintain my level of passion and excitement. That's not easy. I'm, not, I'm just saying, this is the ideal. This is the goal. This is what we're working toward. This is what we're praying and begging that the Holy Spirit would inspire within us. Even though it seem, may seem impossible sometimes. And then we get to the end of chapter 8. And this, this seems like a really weird thing for everybody to be talking about. 
I'm in like verses 8 and 9 and 10. This seems like a weird set of verses. Um, I'm just going to read them again. You don't have to worry about putting them back up there. Um, I'm going to just pick up in verse 8. This is others saying, We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day she's spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she's a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. So everybody got that? We good? We can just move on? What the heck is he talking about? What does this mean? So at the very beginning of the book, we know, we know that she had brothers. She had people that, they, at the beginning we talked about how harsh they were to her. Um, but what, what we're saying here is that her family's saying, we have a little sister. She was supposed to be innocent and pure, saved for marriage. Everybody got this idea? We're talking, and what, so what they're saying is, if she's a wall, meaning if she hasn't been opened to anything else yet, do you get what I'm saying here? If she is still pure, then when her wedding day comes, on the day that she is spoken for, when her wedding day comes, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna cover her with a battlement of silver. We're gonna give her a bunch of jewelry, and we're gonna let her go out and get married. It's gonna be exciting. We're gonna have a party. But if she's a door, do you get the difference between a door and a wall? One thing you go through, one you don't. We're good, we're on the same page. But if she's a door, we'll enclose her with boards of cedar. Like, if she did not remain pure, then we're not going to celebrate and send her off to get married because she's already broken what she should not have broken. She's, not, she's already done something that she should not have done. We're not going to celebrate her wedding in the same way. And so they're setting up this. Before she was married, was she, had, she, had she remained pure? And then she, in verse 10, confidently declares, I was a wall. I was pure. I, was, I had not shared intimacy with anybody else. I saved that for my wedding day. But why does she then follow it up? And my breasts were like towers. And then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. What she's saying is, I was a wall. I waited. I, was, I, was, I, I remained pure. But now I confidently stand before him saying, I've done, I did nothing that I was not supposed to do prior to marriage. Now that we're here, I can confidently stand and say, I'm in. Let's go. And we're kind of setting up this contrast of of who she was, she was a wall. And I like that she says it that way, I was a wall. Like, I was this way. But now that I'm all in, essentially she's saying, but now I can be a door. Right? I can be something completely different than what I was because of who I am in this relationship with this man, with this king. Do you see the contrast that she's setting up here? She's saying, she's saying and, and think back to chapter 1. I was timid. I was ashamed of who I was. I was, you know, kind of unsure of myself. But now look at who she is. She's confident. She stands proudly. She, she wants to show the whole world who, how much she loves her guy. That is, that is a drastic difference from I don't necessarily feel adequate. I don't feel like he's going to like me for who I am, too. I know exactly who I am, and I'm with this guy, and I love him. 
That's a big difference. Because now she's like, I'm all in on this relationship. I want to be together with this guy. We've got this, this special place set up for us, right? That's kind of what she talks about. Solomon has a vineyard. Like, we have this place. We have this thing, this marriage, this relationship that is unique to us. This is our thing. And then she closes it saying, just kind of implying, like, it's, it's kind of like it ends with dot, 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 dot. Like, it just keeps going. Like, this was not the end of the conversation. She's, she kind of goes back to what she said at the very beginning when she wanted to see him. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag. Like, she's like, I'm still excited to be around you even after all this time. Which is so different from the lack of confidence that she had from the very beginning. She's boldly declaring who she was so that you can see the contrast of who she is now. That's what the love of the king has done for her. That's a very different girl than we saw at the very beginning. So if you, got, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I read the first half of Ephesians chapter 2 last week. But I'm going to read the rest of this chapter this morning because... because the answer that Paul is giving here is just so perfect for some of what I think we can pull out of really this whole book. So Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to pick up in verse 11. It says, Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made, by the, made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in, the flesh, in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of two, so making peace." And might reconcile us, I'm just going to pause on that word because that's a cool word, reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place by God the Spirit, for God by the Spirit. What Paul is saying is we are essentially in the same place that Solomon's bride was. In that we are drastically different people than we once were. 
He's saying, you once were not heirs to the promises. You were once two separate types of people. You were outside, you were, you were the uncircumcision. You were called, you were called wicked and, and, and distant and, and offensive to God by the people who, who had received all these promises. Israel, who thought, we've got this all figured out. Except that Christ came, and when Christ came, instead of having two separate people, he made them into one people, one new body, one new nation, one new group of people who who are no longer separate and distant from God, who are off chasing the things of the world, kind of like we talked about last week at the beginning of the chapter. We once were far off from God, going after everything that the world had had once pulled us toward. But now we've been made into, and I keep saying, and I keep emphasizing the idea of being made into. Jesus is changing us. The power of the Holy Spirit in us is changing us. All of these different words, you have been brought near. That he might reconcile us. All of these things are passive things. We aren't, necess- we aren't active participants in this. We are being changed by our King. Just like we saw in Song of Solomon, that that she had been changed by the words and the love of her king. No longer is she a farm girl from some some small town out in the country. She is a queen who had this king come up and say, I'm going to change your life and I'm I'm going to speak all of these confident words of love and affirmation to you and build you up into this confident new royal woman. All of these things are happening to her because of the love of her king. And all of these same types of things happen to us because of the love of our king. Who, because Christ did sacrifice himself, because Christ did allow himself to be broken for our sins, is making us into new people, into a new nation, into a... We are a completely changed group of individuals. And if we can't look back like he's doing in Ephesians chapter 2, go and read, read the whole book of Ephesians, but like chapter 1 and 2 just do such a beautiful job of just setting up, look at who you were, look at what you were like, then Jesus, look at you now. And honestly, That, to me, is one of the most powerful points that I think the whole book of Song of Solomon makes for us. In that that we see this, 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 this dramatic change in who this woman is throughout the book. And we just see this this confident and strong person standing at the end saying, look at what we've been through and now I've got him. And this is awesome. And it's the same way that we ought to feel about Jesus because no matter what we go through, no matter what struggles we have, no matter what disagreements we may have, no matter how many times we may disagree with Jesus, when he says, I want you to do this, we're like, that sounds like an awful idea. No matter how many times we might, we, we struggle through these things, he continues to love us and pursue us and reconcile us to himself so that the end We're being built together into a dwelling place for God. (laughs) That's an amazing thought, that that we're being changed into a place that, that the Spirit of God dwells within, and ultimately we're going to be taken to live with Him forever. 
that idea of possessiveness, you're mine. That idea of having a seal placed on us, you're mine. This is a mark made by, left by the king saying, I have claimed you for myself. No one else gets you. That's an amazing thought. And that should be a thought that, that we who are saved revel in. Like we're just so overwhelmed by the goodness of God and what it is that he has done for us. And that he makes us his family in this sense. And we ought to rejoice in such a way that says, look, this is my guy, just like she's doing. Riding through town in a chariot, hanging on his arm. I'm with this guy. That's how we should feel about Jesus. I'm with him. This guy's really cool. So that it becomes the envy of those who see how in love we are with him. The ways, that we, the ways that we talk, the things that we say, the, the words that we sing, the way that we sing, like we talked about last week, the way that we worship, the joy that we're filled with, all of these things are just the natural response to what it means to be in Christ. And hopefully the world can see that in you. Hopefully you're living in such a way that, that when people see you, they realize you are super in love with somebody. You thought you were going to get away without a movie reference. Think of Ariel. She's singing, swimming out, and he's like, what's up with her? And they're like, isn't it obvious? She's in love. We should look like that to people. What's up with them? Can't you tell? They love Jesus. That should be our goal. Let's pray. God, make us those kinds of people. God, for, for seven weeks, we have been diving through this book and being told over and over again by you just how much you love us. And God, I pray that, that those words will not have fallen on our ears and us not have that resonate in us, not have that be powerful and overwhelming to us. God, I pray that those words will sink into our hearts, that you'll, you'll seal them on our hearts, that, that God, you love us and that we are so overwhelmed by that and that we're living in that way. We're living so confidently in your love that, that for those who don't know you, they're like, that's something I want. God, I pray for those in here who maybe are not in all the way, who aren't all in with this, who don't really, who are still like, I'm not sure. God, I pray that you would just make this kind of a relationship with you the thing that drives them, the thing that they desire, the thing that they want more than anything else. That you would reconcile them, that you would make them into one who, who loves you this way. God, I pray that you'd send the Holy Spirit down now as we're singing, as we're responding, as we're, as we're taking communion, as we're as we're giving our offerings and our tithes, as we're, as we're contemplating what it means to be a child of God, what it means to be made a son and daughter of the King. 
that you would just send your Holy Spirit to, again, overwhelm us with your grace and mercy and, and cause us to respond in the only way that makes sense, with great joy and with great passion and with great enthusiasm because it's so hard to believe what it is that you've done for us. But yet you did, and we are so thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.